Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? It's Christmas. I don't need to ask that. You're doing great. It's Christmas time. Uh, hey, if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it? We'll be in Luke chapter 2 this morning. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you should see one in the pew in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, that is our gift to you. So Merry Christmas. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be, which will be page 857 uh, in the Bibles in the pews. Um, now, uh, last week I had someone come up to me after service and ask um, why I don't embrace listening to Christmas music earlier in the year if I love Christmas so much. And um, what I told them was, um, well, it's because I'm not a crazy person. <laughs> right? Like you do one holiday at a time. Anyone with me on this one? Uh, yeah. Um, but, but seriously, what I told them was... Um, like, it's, it's actually my love for Christmas music that drives me um, to have these very strict rules about it. Because I don't know about you, but in our home, from the second that the last dish goes in there on Thanksgiving night, uh, it is all Christmas music all the time in our house. Um, and I love it. I told you last week, I'm all in. If you weren't here last week, you can see it. I love this time of year. There's something magical about Christmas music, just like we talked about last week, that can lift your soul. But what I found is after the three or four thousandth time, the magic can begin to fade. And this is why we have strict rules in our house. I don't want to ruin the magic too early before we get to Christmas. Anyone with me on this one? This has nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. I just thought I'd have a little plug to cool it on Christmas music in October. Uh, but, but really, um, I love Christmas music. And um, I should say most Christmas music because there's one song that I just can't stand. Does anybody else have a Christmas song you just can't stand? Let, let's hear him. Shout it out. Little Drummer Boy. Yeah, that one can kind of get in, get in your head, huh? Uh, any others? Come on, we're family here. Shout them out. Jingle Bell Rock. What was this one over here? Dominic Donkey. I don't even know that one. Okay, any others? All I want for Christmas is you. Now, some of these are controversial. I see some people shouting back going, hey, what about that one there? Um, okay, here, here's mine. I'll just give you mine. Um, away in a manger. Now, that's clearly not what some of you were expecting from a pastor. Uh, but let me read some of the lines to you so I can get you on my side on this one, all right? Um, the song starts off this way. You probably know it. Uh, away in a manger. No crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. Now, so far, so good. I mean, honestly, it does sound a little bit to me like Ricky Bobby praying to eight-ounce, six-ounce baby Jesus. But if you've never seen that movie, it's all good. You're not jammed up by that. It, this is basically Luke 2 put to music. But it continues on saying, the cattle are lowing, the poor baby he wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Now, um... I've been in the room two times when a baby was born, and, and here's what I can tell you from my vast experience. Um, number one, epidurals are a gift of God's common grace that push back some really scary stuff. Praise Jesus for the in, ingenuity he has given humanity. Uh, number two, and much more to the point here, some of you, I'm starting a controversy there. Let's keep moving. Number two, <laughs> babies cry. When babies are born, they cry. Someone amen that. 
And, and here's the thing. If they don't cry, something's wrong. Like a team gets called in. They go, the baby's not crying. We got to get in there because babies cry. This is what little humans do. This is what it means to be human. But according to this song, not baby Jesus. No crying he made. And this is why I don't like this song. Because what the Bible insists is that Jesus is and has always been fully God. We talked about that last week. And the Bible also insists that in the fullness of time, this sweet moment we call Christmas, the eternal Son of God stepped into our world and became fully human. So according to the Bible, Jesus is one person with two natures, a fully divine nature and a fully human nature. And because that's hard to wrap our minds around, uh, two great heresies really developed very early on in the Jesus movement. Uh, the first heresy attacks the divinity of Jesus that says, oh, no, he, he's not God. He's just a really good teacher that we can learn a couple of tips from, but fully human, but not God. That's the first heresy. Um, but it's not the only heresy. A second heresy that developed around the same time was this idea that attacks the humanity of Jesus, saying, no, he's fully God, but he's not fully human because God can't get involved in this mess. And so maybe God just showed up kind of like a force ghost among us. Or, or kind of like a Terminator where he wore human skin on the outside and looked human, but he wasn't actually human. If you don't like sci-fi, I apologize. None of the references today are going to make sense to you. Uh, the, the way it was, um, some of you, if you're uh, a little bit more well-read, the idea of Gnosticism, that the body is bad, and so God could never enter in and have physical stuff like you and me. So this is the second heresy. It attacks the humanity of Jesus. And I think this is where the song is coming from when it says that Jesus was this perfect little baby that never cried. And, and here's the thing. I, I don't think this song is intending to be heretical. Um, if anything, I think what a way in a manger is trying to do is lift high the divinity of Jesus to say what we said last week, that this child is special, that this child is God, that this child is unlike any other child that has been born in history. But by doing that in such a way that undermines the full humanity of Jesus, this song robs us of something crucial. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to dive into the story of Jesus' birth from Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at how it actually happened. And um, what, what I hope you'll see by the end of today is that the humanity of Jesus is not only true, but it's actually key to the wonder and the joy of Christmas. You ready to look at it? All right. I was expecting more skepticism from the Away in a Manger fans. You guys are awesome. Luke chapter 2. Let's see what the word of God has for us this morning. We read, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So basically, Joseph is the first one to go home for Christmas. 
Joseph is going back to his hometown. There's a census. He's taking his fiance with him. They go back to Bethlehem, his hometown, for Christmas. Verse 6, we read this. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, here's what I know. There's not a lot of you right now going, what? Jesus was laid in a manger? I had no idea. Most of you saw this scene play out in yards and coffee tables around you all week long. Baby Jesus in the manger. And so what I want to do is what we did last week. I want to slow down and just point out some details about this story that maybe we miss because we're so familiar with it. And, and, and the first is this. Jesus was born. Some of you are like, I got dressed and came to church today for that. Um, well, okay, no, think about this. When Jesus came to earth, he didn't just drop out of the sky like Superman with this cape blowing in the wind and show up and be like, sup, Mary? Here to fix the world. You ready? That's not how it went down, which if you're a fan of Superman, that's how it does go down. He shows up in his spaceship. He comes out. He's ready to rock. Not Jesus. Jesus, he comes into the world the same way that you and I did, through the womb of his mother. Jesus, think about this. He became a fetus. And for nine months, grew inside of her body. For nine months, he went everywhere Mary went. He ate whatever Mary ate, even if he didn't like that thing she was having a craving for. Wherever she went, whatever he ate, it passed down to Jesus until it came the time for him to be born, as Luke tells us. And um, I don't know if you remember being born, um, but babies don't just magically have this transformation at the moment of birth where they go from um, totally helpless to this totally autonomous being the second they're born. Don't, don't know if you recall this. Actually, I don't know what I'm saying. Of course you don't recall this. Because you were a baby, you were just born. Babies on the outside of the womb are a lot like babies inside of the womb. They're helpless. They can't care for themselves. They can't hold down a nine-to-five job. They're totally dependent on the care of others to survive. And, and if you're like, okay, that's true of every other baby that's ever been born, but surely not the Son of God. Surely not Jesus. He wouldn't cry like everybody else. Well, look at the text. Luke, who, by the way, is a medical doctor, what he tells us is that after being born, Mary wrapped baby Jesus in swaddling cloths. Now, um, for the longest time, that was just Christmas talk to me. I grew up singing about swaddling cloths, hearing about it this time of year. I figured that was something you put on your Christmas tree, like swaddling cloths, because what else are swaddling cloths? Until we started having kids. And then what I learned is um, that when babies come out of the womb, they're unable to control their limbs. And so because they're unable to control their limbs, what uh, often happens is they can jolt themselves awake when they're sleeping. And when babies jolt themselves awake, I don't care what away in the manger says, when baby jolts themselves awake, they cry. And when they wake up crying, everybody else in the house wakes up. 
crying. And so enter swaddling cloths. This is, where, this is another one of those gifts of God's common grace to all humanity where God blessed someone with the wisdom to say, okay, these babies keep waking up because they're spazzing out. They can't control their limbs. And so maybe since babies outside of the womb are a lot like babies inside the womb, at least initially, what we need to do is wrap them up real tight like they're still in the womb. We need to wrap them up and keep those limbs contained so they can feel a sense of safety a sense of comfort, a sense of security, and so they can get some sleep. So that Lord Will and Mama can get some sleep. And, and maybe the rest of the house can get some sleep. And so here's the point in all this. Jesus was swaddled. Jesus was swaddled, and it wasn't a fashion statement. Jesus was swaddled because he didn't come out like some super baby in full control of his limbs. He came out just like you and me. Unable to control his limbs, unable to lift his head, and totally dependent on his mama to get some sleep. So really, this is how the song should go. The cattle are lowing, the poor baby wakes, because Joseph is still a new dad, and he's still figuring out how to do the whole swaddle thing. And so, little Lord Jesus, lots of crying he made. And so then the nurses had to come in and be like, okay, Joseph, good try, cute that you're trying. Here's how to really do it. Anyone else have that experience? That's how the song should go. Because what we see in Luke chapter 2 is that Jesus had a totally normal birth, just like every other human. He came out needing to be swallowed because he couldn't control his own limbs. Now, now the question is, like, how is that possible? Um, this is where I think the writer of Away in a Manger, if they were here today, would be bristling under everything I'm saying. Maybe you're bristling under everything I'm saying because you're thinking, if Jesus is fully God, if he is the one holding the universe together, then how could he need to be held together by a swaddle? Well, and to answer that, you'd have to flip a few pages over to the book of Philippians chapter 2, where in verses 6 to 8, you will read that in the coming to earth, Jesus, here's the words in Philippians 2, emptied himself. He emptied himself of his right to use his divine son of God powers. Now, um, he didn't empty himself of his divine nature. That would be heresy to say that. Jesus never stopped being God when he came to earth. But without sacrificing his divinity in any way, Jesus simply laid aside his right to use his son of God powers during his life on earth to live fully as we do. That's what Philippians chapter 2 says. Um, it's a lot like if I'm playing Uno with my girls and I pick up the draw four wild. In that moment, game's over. I mean, I'm not that good at card games, but I'm better than a five-year-old and a five-year-old and a six-year-old. So if I've got to draw four wild in my hand, game's over. If I want to, at any point, I could end them. But a lot of the time, not all of the time, but a lot of the time, what I will do is I will choose not to play that card. I will choose not to play it to enter into the game with them. Now, it doesn't mean I don't have the card. It doesn't mean that at any time I couldn't end the game. But what it means 
is that in my love, I'm not going to play that card to enter into something with them. And that's what's going on here. That without sacrificing his divinity in any way, what Philippians chapter 2 tells us is that during his life on earth, Jesus refused to play his son of God card so that he could experience the fullness of what it means to be human. So that he could experience the full human experience. From all the highs of that to the difficulties of that. From the weaknesses to that, everything. And, and see, what you see in the birth narrative is it's not just physical limitations of not being able to control his limbs. It's social limitations as well. Um, you see this in, in probably the most famous word in the text, that Jesus was born in a manger. Um, that word uh, literally just means a place where animals feed. And so this could be referring to a trough, kind of like you see in manger scenes. I've got one in my front yard. Uh, it, it could mean that. It could also just be referring to like a barn or a place that animals are hanging out in general. And, and, and so what Luke is telling us, here's the general idea, is that Jesus was born in a barn. So if anyone ever, Jesus was the one person, if someone said, what, were you born in a barn? He could be like, actually, that's what's going on here. The Son of God is born in a place where animals feed. And, and Luke tells us why. He says, there was no room in the inn. Now, um, I don't know about you, for years, I just pictured this as Joseph being bad at planning. And so when he gets to Bethlehem, shows up at the hotel, and the no vacancy sign is flashing, and Mary looks at him, and she's like, Joseph, you made reservations, right? Right? I've been pregnant for a few months, Joe. We've got reservations, right? Because no room in the inn. But they didn't have inns back then. They didn't have hotels back then. Uh, what they had were homes that had guest rooms in a culture where hospitality was considered normal. Where when someone came to your door and said, I'm traveling, could you provide me a place to stay for the night that you would welcome them in? Just like we saw Abraham do uh, back in our Genesis series. This is the world in which all of this is occurring. And so um, what's going on here is not that Joseph forgot to like do the Airbnb. What's going on here is that Joseph is wandering through his hometown. This is his hometown. This is the place where he is known. People know this guy. And he's going door to door, knocking. And door after door, what he is told is, sorry, don't have room for you. Guest room's full. Now, now there is a census going on. And so Bethlehem probably is packed to the gills, but... Remember, Mary's about to give birth. So Joseph, you would think this is the easiest, like, find a couch to crash on opportunity in the world. His fiance is super pregnant. And so they got knocking on the doors. But house after house after house, what they're told is, sorry, you are not important enough to make room for. Sorry, Joseph. All filled up with the important people now. Here's the point. From his very birth, Jesus experienced what it's like to be a nobody, to be rejected. I don't know if you can resonate with that. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, like I'm on the outside. I'm not important. I don't have social capital and power. What we're seeing in the text here is that Jesus knows what it is to feel that way too. There was no room for his pregnant mama in the end. Because they were viewed as unimportant and unworthy of the trouble. 
Jesus experienced physical limitations. He experienced social limitations. And, and if you uh, continue to read the Gospel of Luke, this biography of Jesus' life, or if you read any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just learn about the life of Jesus, what you'll see is it's not just at his birth. It begins at his birth, but throughout his life, Jesus experiences the full range of what it means to be human. Um, I'll give you just a few examples so you know I'm not making this up. Luke chapter 4 tells us, so just a couple of chapters later, we read that Jesus was tempted, like you and I are tempted. He was enticed to sin. He was, he was told, doesn't this look good over here? Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. In John 4 verse 6, we, realize, we read that Jesus became physically tired. Like, how crazy is that? That the creator of all things was going for a walk with his boys, and he had to be like, guys, I need to sit down. I'm tired. I need a drink. It's been a minute here. In John 19, 28, we, we read that Jesus grew thirsty. In Matthew 4, 2, we read that Matthew grew, or excuse me, Jesus grew hungry. Jesus had his blood sugar drop, so some of you are like, man, I'm not in my right mind when the blood sugar drops. He's been there. He has felt the temptation in that moment. He knows what it's like to get hungry. And it's not just physical. Jesus also experienced the full range of human emotions, including being amazed, Matthew 8, verse 10, and being grieved with sorrow to the point of death, Mark 14, 34. What you see in the Gospels is that Jesus cried over the death of his friends. He laughed at jokes. And then this one's crazy. Jesus experienced death. Here's why that one's crazy to me. The thing that makes God God is that he is immortal. That he has no beginning, no end. The way the scripture says it is that He's the source of all things, that life is a gift that flows from his very nature. And so God is life. He is love. It's not that, like, he can't not be those things. It, it would be like saying rain isn't wet or depressing. Some of you, I know, you're, like, enjoying the rain right now. Okay, stick with me on the main point here. Rain's always wet, God, by his very essence and nature, is life. God can't die. But we can. And in the fullness of time, God, the Son, put on a fully human nature and experienced the fullness of human experience. Not just the fun stuff. Rejection weakness, and death itself. He experienced the fullness of what it means to be human. From laughing with his friends to crying at the death of his friends. From uh, being swaddled at his birth because he couldn't control his limbs to being wrapped in burial garments at his death because his body was lifeless. Jesus experienced everything that it is to be human and everything in between. In other words, here's, here's the whole thing I'm driving at here. Jesus didn't just look human on the outside. He wasn't a terminator wearing human skin so we would all think he was human, but not actually human. According to the scriptures, Jesus became 
fully human. This child is man. A human. And, and the question is, why would God subject himself to this? Why would God enter into our broken world? I mean, he could just show up as a force ghost. He could drop down commandments from on high. Why would God take on a human nature and experience our limitations, our weakness, even our death? Why would he do this? Or as we said last week, so what? Why does any of this matter? Maybe you would say, okay, I'm not going to fall for that heresy and I'll take away in a manger off the playlist, Pastor. But, but so what? what? What bearing does this have on our life today? Well, I'm so glad when you asked the question that I want to answer. Um, I've got a couple of points for you. Um, if God has become human, then number one, that means that God gets you. God gets you. See, I think one of the main reasons we don't experience the joy of what we talked about last week, about how God has come to be with us, I think one of the main reasons we don't experience the freedom and awe and wonder that that truth is meant to well up within us is because I think somewhere at a gut level we just believe that God is mildly disappointed with us. Um, let, me, let me explain it this way. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we're having breakfast, and um, on Saturdays, uh, Karen goes uh, to Orange Theory, and she works out. It's, it's her morning of sanity. And so on Saturdays, uh, I'm on breakfast duty, and because I'm the fun parent, and because it's Saturday, we have sugary cereal that we call weekend cereal in our home. We have Pop-Tarts. We have a great time. So a couple of weeks ago, um, we're doing all of this. And uh, everyone's having a great time. I walk away for a few minutes just to make a cup of coffee. And I come back into the kitchen. And it looks like a hurricane passed through that place. <laughs> like there's a spoon on the floor. There's milk everywhere. Like it is a mess in there. But the one thing that's not a mess is there is this neatly placed Pop-Tart still on the breakfast table. And so I call out to the girls. I say, whose Pop-Tart is this? And, and when I said that, out of the corner of my eye, I could see one kid in the playroom run for it. I think I know who did this. Now, here's the crazy thing. I wanted to help. I wanted to make sure that whoever's Pop-Tart that was we would set it aside so they could eat it later. Because I want them to have a good time. Because I'm a fun dad. But my little girl in that moment, she thought I was calling out because I was mad about the mess. And so she ran from the help that I wanted to provide. Which made me begin to wonder, like, how overbearing have I been as a parent that her default assumption is that dad's mad at me which kind of sent me off into my own like man how am I doing as a parent grief what in the world is going on which would be another thing for another time but the point is I think we're often like my little girl running from help because we think God's up in heaven going really 
Again? You kidding me with this? Ugh. Can't believe it. Don't you have a Christmas tree in your living room? Don't you realize all that I've done for you? Again? Ugh. And this is where the humanity of Jesus bids us near. Listen to how the author of Hebrews puts it. The Brown family read this so well for us earlier. I just want to read it again. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That's a great way to talk about Christmas. That God has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What he's saying is, I know that your tendency when you sin is to want to run from God. I know that you don't have a lot of confidence in that moment, but what he says is when you run from God, you will not find help because the place that you will find the help you need is God's throne, is God's presence. And and so the key to coming to God when we fail is the humanity of Jesus. Did you catch what he said? He said, because Jesus has become like we are, Because Jesus has been tempted like we are in every way. Because Jesus knows the weight of living in a fallen world. And he knows how that can just weigh down on your shoulders. Because he knows the power and the allure of the demonic realm. And how Satan knows how to bait you. And and just try to get you to do something that in your right mind you would know is insane. But in the moment it doesn't feel so insane. Because he has been there and he knows the weight of these things. According to the author of Hebrews what he says is... He's not unsympathetic when you give in to that weight. He says, we don't have an unsympathetic high priest. We have a God who has experienced life as we do. So he's not up in heaven going, are you kidding me? What's wrong with you? We do not have an unsympathetic high priest. He gets you. He understands your struggle. And and if you really believe that, what the author of Hebrews says is you will find yourself running towards him when you fail. If you believe that Jesus has passed through the heavens and becomes like you and he gets you, so he's not just walking around dialed up to 11 ready to crack you, but he understands. And so his posture towards you is, come to me. I know how dark that is. I know how busted that is. I know how that just weighs down on you. So come so I can give you the grace to help. The author of Hebrews says when you believe that, the thing you're going to find yourself doing when you fail is that you will start running towards God, not from him. And that is where you will find the grace to help in your time of need. Because while Jesus was tempted as we are, and he gets us, 
he is unlike us and that he never gave in to sin. So this is the second thing. God gets you and also God can help you. Because while we give in to sin, Jesus never did. So what the author of Hebrews says is, man, when you've blown it again, you can run to him because he gets you and he can also help you. Jesus isn't that friend that says, yeah, I've done some shady stuff too. I get you. Let, let's, let's try to be better this week. Um, there's, there's a time and a place for community where we're authentic and share our brokenness with one another. But at some point, you need a savior to not only be like you, you need someone that can rescue you. And that's what we have in Jesus. He gets you, but he can help you. He can say, I understand. I'm not unsympathetic. And I was strong where you are weak so that you can come to me and I can give you my perfect life. I can take on your death. You can have my perfect human record. I'll take on all of your sin and trade you back my righteousness so that you can be forgiven, so that you can be free. And so that in my grace, I can change you. So God gets you and God can help you. And then number three, God is remaking you. See, if this child is man, if God has really become fully human, then what that means is in Jesus Christ, we have a picture of what true human flourishing looks like. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but over the past couple of years, I've begun to feel pretty pessimistic about humanity. Um, like, like, just real talk, I'm like, we all went through the same traumatic experience with COVID together. And yet, rather than coming together, we turned on one another. Like, what is wrong with us? I'm not very sympathetic with us. But the announcement of Christmas is that God hasn't given up on humanity. That God doesn't see a dark future ahead for humanity. There are some days where I'm like, this whole place is on its way to burning, isn't it? The whole thing is just spiraling out of control. But what Christmas is, is the announcement that there's hope for humanity. That if God has become human, then in him we see a new way to be human. And so, yeah, sure, we are broken. Christmas doesn't deny that. We said last week we're made in the image of God. But because we've rejected God, that image has been marred in us. We are broken. Now, it's not been taken from us completely, but we are like a distorted funhouse mirror, not reflecting God well to the world, but so often reflecting the opposite of God, reflecting hate and division where we so often hurt the ones we love, not help the ones we love. Christmas doesn't deny our brokenness. What it says is it's not the end of the story. That God in the fullness of time became human to show us there is another way to be human. You don't have to live for this brokenness anymore. You can live this new way of being human. If we are made in God's image and God himself has become human, then that's the picture. Whatever you see in Jesus, that's what we're meant to be. 
And, and see, this is why I think people celebrate Christmas. This is why, really, regardless of religious belief, people that totally deny the divinity of Jesus, they have a hard time denying that Jesus was awesome. They say, man, the teaching of Jesus was great. Oh, man, his emphasis on love and do not judge. Like, man, that, that Jesus, he had something special going on. We should, like, put lights on our house to celebrate his birthday. Well, you believe he's God? No, but we should really celebrate because his birthday is like the turning point of history. You know what we should do? We should turn history on. We should have B.C. and A.D. And B.C. will not mean before COVID because COVID's not the biggest thing to happen. Jesus is that big of a deal. Like in him, there is this, there's this undeniable life. The way that um, we read it last week, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. John chapter 1 verse 4 says this, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. At the risk of over-spiritualizing my Christmas zeal with lights. One of the things I think we're saying when we put lights on our roof is we are busted, we are broken, but light has come into the world, and it doesn't matter how dark the world gets, this light is going to shine until one day it's daytime again, and that light renews this world with the life we were made for. That's the announcement of Christmas. That God's not given up on this world, that the light has come into the world, that the life we were made for is seen in him. And in him, as we draw near to him by faith, as we come to him when we blow it, as we come to him in our moments of darkness, that is when he says to us, I love you, I'm not unsympathetic. I went to the cross and took on that sin. I know how bad it feels, and I died so that I could give you a new life. Now follow me into this new way of being human. And so number three, God, number one, God gets you. God can help you because he offers real salvation to you. And number three, God is committing to remaking you. And this is what the Christian life is all about. This is what that word discipleship you hear in church is all about. It's learning to more and more submit your life to the leadership of Jesus. Where after you hear that he loves you, and hear me, the order is so important here. It is after you realize that he's not unsympathetic. It's after you realize his heart towards you is kind. You can begin to say, okay, Jesus... I believe that you show us the future for humanity. And I believe you when you say, if you are weary and need rest, come to me and I'll give you rest for your souls. Take my teaching upon you and I'll show you the way to true flourishing. Jesus, I believe that's true. And so would you lead me just a little bit more in that this week? This is the good news of Christmas, that there's hope for humanity, that though the dark is dark, the light has come into the world, and the light is committed to bringing his life in us increasingly from one degree of glory to another until that day we show up and he makes us complete and his life and love shine through us completely. And that, yes... That is why we give gifts at Christmas. That is why we put lights on our house. This is why we sing and put peppermint in everything and have all these smells to say something incredible has happened. God has come to be with us. And it's not a God who is far and removed. It's a God who gets us. And so no matter how much we see, we don't measure up. We can run to him today. We can receive his grace. He's not fed up with us. He's not unsympathetic. And he's so sympathetic that he has come into the world to give us something new. So 
come on, let's come to him. This is what we are celebrating behind all the lights and the trees and all of the things that smell nice. And so as we begin our week-long response to this message, um, I want to encourage you to come to his throne of mercy this morning. I want to encourage you to come to him. I, I don't know where it is for you that you are running from Jesus. I don't know where it is that you're just kind of avoiding him until you feel like you can clean yourself up. I don't know where it is that you think God is disappointed with you, but I believe that the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us right now. And so I'm just asking him, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Reveal our hearts to us in this moment. I don't know where it is that you're running from him this morning, but the humanity of Jesus bids you, you don't have to run anymore. He's not unsympathetic to you. And so I want to encourage you as we turn now and sing in response to the word we just heard, that is we're singing to Jesus for all he is. I want to encourage you in that place that you've been running from him, come to him and tell him right now, I don't want to run anymore. I want to receive your grace to help in my time of need and my goodness, Jesus, I need you this week. I want to encourage you to come to him as we sing this last song now. And as we do that, I want to encourage you to just have this question in the back of your mind all week long. Jesus, where are you seeking to lead me and restore true humanity in me? Where do you have more for me than what I am living? Because here's what I can promise you. When you begin to ask Jesus questions like that, Christmas begins to pop into four dimensions for you. And the light that has come into the world, he begins to shine a little bit more through your life. But you got to get the order right. You've got to come to him for grace and mercy in your time of need. And it's from that place that he leads you in a new way of living. And when you fail in that new way of living, it's like a circle. You go back to that grace. And then you come back to him and he leads you. This is the Christmas cycle until he comes again. And we have something even more exciting to celebrate than Christmas. Until then, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you would leave the comfort of heaven to come be with us. Jesus, I don't even want to leave the house on a rainy morning. I don't want to leave the comfort of my home, but you left the comfort of your heavenly home to not only come into a place where you would experience physical limitations, but you came into a place and experienced social limitations. You came, and on the cross, you took on the darkness that is within us. You took on our sin and our shame. Thank you for loving us so much that you would do all of that so you can make an end to those things and make a new way and a new life for us. And so Jesus, I pray you just shine the light of your love into our hearts this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you help us to believe that you get us, that you can help us, and that you really can remake not only us, but the world around us. Would you give us the hope of Christmas this morning? Where maybe we're cynical, would you show us that the darkness isn't the end. And would you start with our own heart? Show us you're not fed up with us. Lead us to your throne of grace. And from that place, I ask that you would send us out of here singing and celebrating and ready to give our best gifts to you and to everyone around because we have a life in us that can't be denied. Thank you for becoming human to restore humanity. We love you. In your beautiful name, we ask these things. Amen.